You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Where there is fire, there is smoke. In that smoke, from this day forward, my people will crouch and conspire and plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall. The day when he finally and self-destructively turns his weapons against his own kind. The day of the writing in the sky, when your cities lie buried under radioactive rubble. When the sea is a dead sea and the land is a wasteland out of which I will lead my people from their captivity and we shall build our own cities in which there will be no place for humans except to serve our ends and we shall found our own armies, our own religion, our own dynasty and that day is upon you now! Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to GeekFest Rant. My name is Carlos Perone, and today we are returning to a familiar environment that we visited before, and that is Planet of the Apes. We are joined by a guest that's been here before, and we are going to discuss a couple of new books having to do with events that take place in between and while you're watching the first two films. Planet of the Apes is a very special franchise that has been around for a very, very long time and has rebooted itself quite a bit through the ages. And just like with other franchises, the, you could call it expanded universe version of this particular franchise has gone on not only beyond the original films, but through comics and books, you know, originally, uh, a long time ago, but very recently, there's been a new wave of books that are delving into an area that is very, very fascinating and brings us right damn smack into the events of some of these films, especially the first two. So let's get started with Planet of the Apes. All right, well, I have Andrew Gaska once again joining me today. Last time he was here, if you guys remember, we talked about Gamergate and Comicsgate. Today we're completely switching gears and doing something a little more a little more familiar and a little more up his alley, if you will, because we're going to talk about Planet of the Apes. And this is a subject that Andrew is, you know, pretty much an expert at it. As I can vouch for him, I am holding right now three of his published books. And specifically, the reason I started down this particular path is because of his latest book, Death of the Planet of the Apes, which takes you to a whole area that you might be wondering about after seeing the film, especially the first and second film. And then we'll also cover a couple of his previous books uh, that kind of lead us into this current book. But before we do that, Andrew, why don't you tell me a little bit about, you know, I, I assume you're about my age. So how were you introduced to the whole Planet of the Apes franchise? You know, did, did you actually go to the movies or did you catch them on TV like most of us? Yeah, it was TV. It was the uh, ABC afternoon movie. <laughs> you know, it was like 4.30 in the afternoon, I think. And then it would do, it would be Apes Week. And they okay. would, you know, show, they would show four of the films. I didn't know there was a fifth film until college. <laughs> Because the fifth film, I guess they didn't have the rights to, to, to keep playing over and over again. And then oh, wow. I remember remember during college, like I came home and my mom had the movie channel on or something like that. I don't know. It's one of those channels. And I was like, is this from the TV series? I don't remember. What am I watching? And it was the fifth one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I, 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 I really loved it as a kid, you know. At first, it to me was just you know, oh, isn't it great that they're 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 monkeys with guns? But you know, as as I got older, I realized there was a lot more going on. 
and that it was really talking about uh, the human condition, which is what best science fiction does. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, on a side note, I think that's what was wrong with the Tim Burton one, because it didn't do that. It was literally just monkeys with guns. <laughs> but, okay. There um, you go. But yeah, no. Um, so I loved the original very much when I was younger, and I had some of the Mego figures. Wow. Um, so I played with them. And yeah, then I sort of forgot pretty much about Planet of the Apes until, like I said, until college. And I, I saw that I saw that movie, and that made me go back and watch the others. And I realized that there were things that I thought were filmed that I must have made up as a kid in my head. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like between the first and second movie, all of a sudden Cornelius and Zero are married. Um, That's right. When they specifically right. say my fiance, my fiance in the first movie. <laughs> and so it's like I thought that there was a movie where they got married and stuff. And, and I was watching these movies. And I was like, wow, I, I made that up because it was so real in my head. So, so you're writing these books in your head already at that age. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seven-year-old me was writing th- these books. So when... I had the opportunity to do something with Planet of the Apes. You know, I pretty much drew upon all those unanswered questions that I had answered myself as a kid. And, you know, I, I made them a little more adult answers, but <laughs> still, they, it all has its genesis to back then. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the uh, the TV series and the animated series? Did you catch any of that uh, in real time or you also caught up with that later? Also later. I mean, the, the TV series was... Uh, in 74, I was two years old. So, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I didn't even, I don't even think I saw it as a TV series. I think I saw it as the edited together, oh, uh, okay. you know, um, Life, Liberty, and Pursuit on the Planet of the Apes was one of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like it taking three or four episodes and editing together. So, yeah. But I knew that was from a TV series even back then. But the animated series, I'd caught a couple of episodes here and there. And I always, like, would cut, I think it was on too early. Because I would always like catch like the last five minutes and be like, "Damn it!" <laughs> uh, so I hadn't really seen them. And then when I got into Planet of the Apes again in college, I went and like to used bookstores and I found all the novels that had come out in the past. Uh-huh. And there was this series of novels that I thought was original Planet of the Apes novels, and they were amazing. And I just thought they were written so well. And I later found out that they were novelizations of the animated series. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So there was no original. Planet of the Apes novel that took place in the classic universe until my conspiracy book came out in 2011. Wow. Did you read any of the uh, the movie adaptations uh, that they put out, I guess, at, at the time of the of the release of the films, the original films? Yeah, I, well, I read all those in college. Like I said, okay. I, I, I hunted all the books down. Um, you know, they did. There was four books that ad- adapted the TV series and there was one for each of the movies. The only movie that doesn't have an adaptation is the first one, because the original novel that it was sort of based on is what they always release as that, but it's not at all the same as the movie. And it's very different, very, yeah. very different, very yeah. different. Now, what about the modern films? Are, are Did did you watch any of them? How do you feel about those modern ones? I thought Rise was okay. I saw it had potential and it could go either in a good direction or a bad one. And then with Dawn and War, it definitely went in a good direction because those movies were fantastic. It's not the same thing. Anybody who tries to say that it's part of the same universe is just <laughs> out of their minds. But, you know, it's a good, very good take on on the material. And it, it took it all very seriously. I mean, it, it could have very, with the way movies are nowadays, it could have very easily made it into some kind of campy thing. And it wasn't. Yes. So yes. I really enjoy them. You know, they're separate from the classic stuff. And ironically, those those movies do pretty well. I mean, the third one didn't do as well as they wanted it to do. But Fox seems to have been having the problems with that lately, with uh, yeah. Alien and then with this, which makes me think that these things are going to be better translated to streaming. That's, oh. that's a theory I have, that Alien, Planet of the Apes, a bunch of properties like that are going to be moving, and even Predator are going to be moving into streaming service instead of being <laughs> movies. They have a legacy, and people will watch them, but I don't know if everyone's going to go to the theater for them anymore. So, that's a possibility. Yeah, that's a, that's a real possibility. Oh, the movie didn't do as well as they wanted it to, yes. but it still did well. It still did very well. Now, let me ask you, from the original films, mm-hmm. do you have an order of which is your favorite and which is your least favorite? Like, what order would you would you place them in? Right. Well, I mean, the first one is always going to be the best because it, it is a classic movie on its own, never mind the fact that it's part of this larger universe thing. Yes. You know, it's just a, a really good movie, even if it just ends that and there was never anything else. But mm-hmm. after that, my favorite is Conquest, especially the extended version of that, which was on the Blu-ray release. 
it was the director's cut, which is much bloodier and has a much more disturbing ending. Yes. And then my favorite after that is Escape, uh, because I think it has the most heart of all the films. <laughs> you know, it's and again, it's like those movies. It's like <laughs> Escape is this lighthearted romp, you know. Look at the monkeys trying to yeah. adjust to our society, and then they get with a bru- super downer ending. Yeah, obviously. they get brutally slain at the end. <laughs> you know, he's shooting a baby and everything. I'm like, geez, <laughs> yikes! If that didn't fuck me up as a kid, I don't know what did. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then beneath, because beneath, I think has incredible concepts and visuals. I just uh, think yeah. the plot is weak of beneath, and that was one of the struggles I was having with to try to make it. I re- literally was trying to like build the second half of Beneath with Death of the Planet of the Apes mm-hmm. because it's just, you know, Chuck Heston didn't want to be in it. So, you know, we have another astronaut who goes through the same things just really fast so we can move the story along. You know, it's it, it, it's got problems, that movie. But but like, you know, the visuals and like the ideas of the mutants and all the stuff is fantastic ideas. Battle is just embarrassing <laughs> it, it, the, the tv series has better production values than battle does um, and um, it, it, it almost feels like part of the tv series yeah that's why i said like i, I was like is this for the tv series i don't understand <laughs> you know i kept looking for alan and pete and they weren't there but the thing that's sad about that is that paul den who took over the writing stuff with the second movie with beneath mm-hmm. he was like weaving this tapestry that yeah, there were lots of holes in it because he didn't even like pay attention to dates between films and things like yeah. that. But still, he was creating this this universe that like was really interesting and was really about teaching you a point by smacking you in the face with the ending. And then he got sick and he had written the plot for it. And I've seen this plot and it's like one of the things I'd love to do. Jeez. And I've, I've talked to Fox about it is do a novelization of his original plot. Oh. Because it was amazing. And it, it ends just the way the other movies end with like, oh, shit, we're fucked, <laughs> you know. And then this movie, when he got sick, they gave it to a husband and wife team who were known for doing children's movies. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's like they did that because Fox was like, they were looking at the numbers of sales and stuff. And they were like, hey, you know what? We sell a lot of Planet of the Apes toys. Maybe we should write these for kids. And that's what happened with that movie, and that just closed the door. So. Well, that's that's ironically, I, I believe, the time period you know between the last film and the television series when the actual merchandising of the franchise actually took off. That's when you started seeing product. It wasn't in the beginning; it was close to the end. Right. No. Yeah. It it, it was definitely in that. Uh, I, I thought it was before battle, but you might be right. Maybe I'm wrong about the selling of the toys. Maybe it was after. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Now I completely agree with you. I used to have obviously the first one was always the best. Then the second one, I used to like it because of the production value. I, the fact that they were able to to bring so. And, and obviously, if you read the history of the films, you know every film there was a little less money and a little less money and a little mm-hmm. less money, mm-hmm. and and you could kind of see that. But the second one retained a lot of the uh, a lot of the look and the feel of the original. Uh, granted, like you said, Charlton Heston didn't want anything to do with it. They convinced him to do a, a quick cameo that turned into two scenes eventually. Mm-hmm. But you could tell they were kind of like, we need a, a clone uh, of Heston to kind of lead this film because we don't have him anymore. Yep. But Conquest, little by little, has become my second favorite one for completely different reasons because it actually tells you the pre-story, the pre-story, <laughs> of <laughs> what happened. And, and it's very, very political, too. Which, the more you watch it, the more that you can make these connections with, you know, uh, what was happening, not exactly in the 70s, but definitely in the 60s. 60s. Yeah, late 60s. So that's that's definitely an area that I can appreciate more and more. Like you said, with the the, the one with the the, the more lighthearted one, yes, it's a little more lighthearted with a really twisty, dark ending. But I still like the way that they were able to connect this mythology of the science, of the time travel science, the scientists that theoretically invents it. Oh, Hasselhoff, yes. Yeah, and how they, even though they're not very good at it in terms of portraying it on, on the films as the films get older and older, there's still a thread that you can follow of, okay, this is where this leads to and this guy leads to that guy. And even some of the guys that show up later that are supposed to be government guys, it's the beginning of the mutants. It's, mm-hmm. it's that whole thing kind of, you can say, all right, that's where that connection you know goes off into. Now, let me ask you, when you were putting together these books, I always heard, you know, because my connection is more with Star 
Star Wars, how some of the Star Wars writers, they're told, you know, you cannot go here, you cannot go there. Did you have a free range of where you wanted to start with Conspiracy? I had a very unique situation with this. I had been working for Rockstar Games and making very good money there. And I pretty much had given up on breaking into comics or novels or any of that stuff. I was just you know, <laughs> making good money doing that. And I was like, all right, this is what I'll be doing. I went to the comic shop and there was a new Planet of the Apes comic book on the shelves. And I was like, oh, who's putting this out? Is it Dark Horse? Is it Marvel? Is it DC? And it was somebody called Mr. Comics. Oh. And, I, and I'm like, who the F is Mr. F in comics? <laughs> and if they can put this out, why can't I? Was literally what went through my head. So I hired an entertainment lawyer and I decided I was going to start Blam, which is my, uh, my studio, book packaging studio. Mm-hmm. And we reached out to all these companies to try and get licenses. Um, I actually almost had Star Trek because wow. it was right after Nemesis and Enterprise had tanked. Uh, so they were, in a, they were in a low point. Yeah. And I almost had it. And the licensing person I was dealing with who was negotiating the deal had gone on vacation. And this brand new company called IDW had come in and put in a bid of 15 grand more than I had. Oh, jeez. And the, her boss just signed off on it without giving her a chance to see if I could offer the same. And back then I was making a ton of money and I totally could have done it. Oh, so man. that drives me crazy every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I wound up with Space 1999 and I wound up with Planet of the Apes. Wow. When Fox was interested, I went to them at the licensing expo and had a meeting with them. And I told them what I wanted to do. Now, at this point, Mr. Comics had screwed up their license. They had put out, a five, I think, a five-issue miniseries, which was actually pretty good. There's some really good stuff in there. It takes place right after Conquest. Oh, okay. But they were supposed to, part of the deal was that they were supposed to collect it and get it in bookstores. And they were a small company, and they didn't take care of their final part of it. So Fox was pretty much annoyed with the whole situation. And this was what gave me the opportunity to get in there. So I told them what I wanted to do, and I said, well, I want to do a series of graphic novels that take place in between the movies to tell the missing parts, because there's lots of holes in the plots and everything. And they're like, well, wait, graphic novels? Like comics? Because we don't want to do comics. Comics has a bad taste in our mouth after what happened. We don't want to do comics at all. And I said, well, when I say graphic novel... (laughs) (laughs) You're like shifting gears. Hold on a minute. I'm trying to say something different here. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, like, you know, I, I said Aliens Tribes was it's like this this book where it's like paintings and there's there's text in it. So it's really not a comic. And it turned out that the exec who I was dealing with, she says she was the licensor who worked with Dark Horse on Aliens Tribes. And it was her wow. favorite project ever. So I was approved wow. on the spot. So, <laughs> so just pulling that out of the air was really lucky for me. They don't have someone there like they do for Star Wars, which keeps track of things and is like, Hey, this has to be like this. They don't uh-huh. have. They didn't. At least they didn't then. They do now, and that person happens to be me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I don't. I don't have. I didn't have any restrictions on my latest novel because of that. But yeah. So basically, I wrote the book, and they were like, "Guess it's good," you know, and they let it come out. There was absolutely no changes. Unfortunately, conspiracy was because of what was going on with the publisher at the time. They printed my final draft instead of an edited version. It's oh. like so. There's lots of typos in there. <laughs> So, yeah, so it's driving me crazy, which, you know, a lot of people are like, I didn't see any typos. I'm like, that's because you were enjoying the story. So that's fine. Now, the <laughs> artists that you used, did you have to hunt them down or they did that for you? Or oh, no, they suggested I, people. I did it. I mean, I got the licensing deal to publish the book myself. So I paid them a licensing fee. I they had to, they were going to get royalties. I got the book pretty much mostly done. And then I decided publishing is a nightmare. I don't have any of the distribution channels I need, so I decided I would find a other publisher to release the book through. So I got Jim Steranko, I got all those guys to work on the book. Now, did, did you give them a specific scene that you wanted painted, or you let them read the whole thing and let them pick what they wanted? Well, the book wasn't even written when they were drawing, oh. doing most of their paintings. <laughs> I, I had what? a rough layout of what was wow. going to go on. And I was like, yeah, let's do a painting that has yeah, this going on, and now I'm, I, that has to happen in the book now. <laughs> Well, I absolutely love, especially the the drawings uh, of the Liberty ship, because you it's so hard to find something out there other than the official pictures. Right. Uh, but then you can see the rest of the ship and what's connected to, and and even if I, you know, when I'm reading the the further books, uh, even on Death and the Planet of the Apes, then I can reference conspiracy to see where all these connections are and how these ships actually work. 
Yeah, I was very lucky to get Andrew Probert to design that. He designed the uh, the Cylons on the classic Battlestar. He, wow. des- he designed the Enterprise for the motion picture, and he did uh, the DeLorean from Back to the Future. So, I mean, I, I, I was, he was on the top of my list. Now, let me ask you a question, because I'm always a little confused about this. I understand that you have the Liberty designations for the different ships, and obviously there's more that we don't see, but they're referred to. How does the Icarus name come about? So the Icarus thing was never an actual name. It was a fan name. Huh. So, like, I was going to use it in the novel originally because I it was so it's so prevalent that no one even realizes that it was yeah, really a fan it's name. It's like where is it coming from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it always bothered me because I was like, okay, so the ship that falls out of the sky is named after the dude who falls out of the sky. That's kind of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's like naming a, a ship the Titanic after the Titanic. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's like it, it it always bothered me, and I was very happy to find out that it was not official. And while I was writing the book, they released an anniversary DVD, a Blu-ray set that had a newsreel type thing oh, in it. Oh, yeah. And they called the ships Liberty 1 and 2 in that. So I just changed the names immediately because I was like, I didn't want to use this Icarus bullshit anyway. Uh, <laughs> but I kept the idea of it in relation to what you find out in the second book, if, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> so I'm sure we'll get to that when, you know, when your questions come up for that. But... Yeah, so basically, uh, spoiler alert, the uh, the ships are reverse engineered from something that fell out of the sky. Right, so, right, right, right. So it's Project Icarus <laughs> uh, becomes Project Liberty when we design our own versions of it. So Now, that's one of the things I noticed is that, especially with, with Conspiracy and Death, is that the story structure goes back and forth different times remembering very important events. And in Conspiracy, obviously, it's the, it's the Landon story. Uh, that's the focus of the story. We're learning how he got to that point uh, where we see him, you know, walking around like a zombie with a scar on his head. It gives us everything that the, led up to that. Uh, but we also learn about the Juno mission, which that's completely yours, right? It's mentioned in a one-liner in that newsreel. Wow. Yeah. So you were able to you were able to get a lot of stuff from other sources that are, I guess, you, I don't know if you can call them, can you call it canon or it's more promotional material? I mean, I don't, what do we call that? Well, it's canon now because I included all the information <laughs> from that in my book and one of the things that came out of conspiracy is Fox at one point was trying to do uh, hub websites for all their major properties. There was a change in in command and that got dumped. But I was they were working on that and they were trying to figure out the Planet Apes timeline and it made no sense to them. And so the guy who was in charge of licensing at the time, Josh Izzo, the franchise team went to him and were like, we don't know what the hell to do with this. And they're like, well, I know this guy who wrote a really good Planet Apes novel. So he seems to know stuff better than us. Why don't we hire him as a franchise consultant? <laughs> and they called me and I'm and like, do you think you want to consult on this? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I was like, finally, my useless knowledge is useful. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm their franchise consultant on that. So when they don't, when they have a question, they call me. They call me about Predator and Alien as well. Wow. I got I got a really interesting phone call um, asking me. If it was random, this was uh, this was back in November. It was random months after I stopped working on the Predator Bible. I got this call from Fox, and they're like, "Do you think the Predator self destruct is nuclear or not?" <laughs> uh, hold on, let me check. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "I said there's really nothing that clarifies it is." I see people think it is because of the mushroom cloud, but it's really cool if it's nuclear. So I'm going to say, "Yeah, it is." <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to figure out if someone would get radiation sickness from being too close to the proximity of it for some story that's coming out. So I was like, "It's awesome that I'm the guy they called for this." That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Now, one of the things I also noticed about conspiracy is that, you know, we we hear about all these experiments that they're doing, and and the way that in the film they refer to uh, research, it's it's animal experiments, and I, I I guess it's supposed to be a a correlation to like now, let's say for example, uh, cosmetic uh, experiments or or medical experiments and that sort of thing, and. And you really, you know, unless you're an animal activist, you really don't have that much of a connection to it. But in this book, the things that are described that are being done, it is like some horrendous, you know, silence of the lamb kind of stuff. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I had, I had seen some, some documentary thing on accident <laughs> and I say on accident because I really regret having seen it Oof. where they were doing this experiments with dogs and trying to attach a second head to a dog. Oh. And the dog lived for a day with the two heads and both heads acted independently and all this other stuff. And it's just some really messed up stuff. And I thought, you know, maybe maybe I should show 
because Planet Apes is supposed to show the reverse angle of everything. What if, you know, we show yeah. apes doing this to people? So Now, let's jump to the next book. And again, this is not the order I read them in, but the next book is Tales from the Forbidden Zone. Now, here you're involved with Titan Books, and this is a compilation of many short stories, right. correct? Yes. So what, what had happened with this is I was always supposed to do the two books, Conspiracy and Death. Mm -hmm. Because of publisher delays and whatnot, because Arkea, the publisher I had, got bought by another company, and then there was this whole thing, my rights lapsed. And when I wanted to renew them, the guy, Josh Izzo, he said, I'm sorry, because Fox has changed their policy. We don't do small deals like this anymore. So unless you can promise us 100 grand and blah, blah, blah. I was like, Oof. yeah, okay, that's not happening. Now, uh, quick question. Was Death supposed to be also a book with art in it or a, yes. a regular book? No, they were okay. both supposed to be illustrated novels. I see. Yeah, I had the license to do two. And if they did well, uh, I could expand the license to do four more. So I have, I have six books that were plotted. So... The guy at Fox pretty much convinced, he said, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Titan just got the rights to do novels for the new version of Planet of the Apes. says, I'll see if they want to activate the classic license, and if they do, I'll tell them, you got to write it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Whoa. I'm good with that. So the stuff moved over to Titan. I started working on Death, but while that was going on, my friend Jim Beard started the mm -hmm. anthology book. He's, uh, he's one of the editors on the book. Right, right. And uh, they asked me to contribute a story to it. So let's talk about the actual story, because when I started reading that short story, I'm like, wait a minute, this where exactly are we? I was a little confused. Mm -hmm. And obviously it takes place in the, in the animated world. Yes. Uh, at least in that time, I don't want to call it timeline, because are we, in your particular version of canon, I assume there are different timelines. Now, granted... Because time travel is not something that's real right now, the writer gets to make up the rules. So, you know, wh whether you're dealing with Terminator or Back to the Future or whatever, somebody has to establish the rules that either everything resets itself because the person with the time machine makes the rules, or they are existing multiple time lives happening, you know, uh, all over the place. Where are we uh, with this particular story as far as canon goes? So when they hired me to basically work on the Planet of Bible, the timeline was the thing that they were having the trouble with. Mm. Because the timeline of the animated series actually takes place during and after the time of Beneath. And the world blows up in Beneath. So, and, they, and they had no cars uh, in Beneath, but they are they're driving cars and flying airplanes in the animated series. So they, they were really confused about all this. So basically, I mean, it was all right there from the third movie and the fifth movie, when Hasline and then Virgil, the, 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 uh, the orangutan advisor to yes. Caesar. You know, time is a highway with an infinite number of lanes. You change your lane, you change your destiny. So I went with that as the blueprint for Planet of the Apes. So basically, every single astronaut that left and disappeared and wound up showing up in a Planet of the Apes, they all leave from timeline A. Okay. Which is Got why it. the reason for this is Taylor launches, launches from timeline A, never shows up. Okay, we'll send Brent now. Okay, that didn't work. Mm -hmm. We'll send these guys. Okay, escape is the beginning of timeline B because Cornelius and Zira show up in 1973, but several astronauts launch after that and are surprised <laughs> to find that there's an eight future. So clearly they couldn't have launched from that timeline. So timeline A, all the astronauts launch that are from everything. It eventually becomes a TV series. A thousand years after the TV series, it becomes the, the first two movies. Cornelius and Zira Got it. and Milo go back in time, create Lane B. Lane B is escape. And conquest? And conquest. And battle. Okay. And battle. Got right. it. Got it. Something happens, which I have is the plot of a future book of mine, <laughs> <laughs> which I cannot get into details of. Got it. Got it. But something happens where something comes back in time during conquest which shifts Conquest into the director's cut of Conquest. Ooh. <laughs> okay, which forms lane C. <laughs> <laughs> we need charts for this. We need a chart. I yeah. need, where's my whiteboard? Hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and C would lead to Paul Den's original plot for battle. And so it would wow. be a, C is a very dark future. If there's a story I want to read out of any everything apes related to me it's all conquest related yeah. something out of conquest because that is such a such a rich environment to kind of mine more stories out of you should definitely check out 
the Mr. Comics comic series of uh, Revolution on the Planet of the Apes. It's really good. Okay. I think you'll okay. like it. I think you'll like it because it's like I said, it takes place right after they, they're still in the city. So it's not even it, they haven't even left the city yet. It's, it's like the next second after the movie. And in a way, they're able to by giving them more technology to interact with technology in a backhanded way. It kind of brings you back to the first book, which was more tech, way more technological than anything we've seen in the first couple of movies. Right. Totally. So I almost didn't connect this here. <laughs> so Lane B, right? It's Escape. Yes. It's the original version of Conquest. Mm-hmm. Well, I say original, the one we know. The, the one we know. Yeah, yeah, right. The original one is technically the director's cut. But regardless, Battle and the Future of That Universe is the animated series. Okay. So in the animated series time, Taylor never shows up because Taylor launched from lane A and landed in lane A. Now tell me again, what about the television show? Is that a continuation to what? That is in lane A. So it's a thousand years before so Taylor shows up. So it's a completely separate one. Got it. Yeah. And, and it's still in the progression. It's still happening. The technology still left over, you know, little pieces. Humans are still talking before they're forbidden to talk in some shape or form. You know, something happens, which I guess... You know, in the modern movies, they specifically talk about how people, because of a virus, they stop talking. What is the reason now for, in, in lane A, for example, of humans stop talking? They talk about how, they talk about in the beginning of Conquest about how a virus was brought back from space that killed all the cats right. and dogs. Right, right, right. So what I have done is made that virus also start to accelerate intelligence in apes and dumb down humans so it's it's part of that virus yes got it got but it, the, got it, got the, it. the irony of it all is that in lane b that virus was brought back by cornelius and zira because it's normal part of the atmosphere <laughs> in their future wow so that's why oh. when cornelius tells you about what happens in the future and he's talking about lane a he's talking about 500 years from now apes revolt but in lane B, it happens 20 years from now because the virus was brought back early. It's much sooner. Right, right, yes. right. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, and, and that's, you know, I'm reading the short story and I'm like, wait a minute. Why is this guy acting friendly? I'm used to this guy not being very friendly. Why is he collaborating with these guys? And then you, you, you read about the, I think, what was it called? The Unknown Ape? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, now we're now we're getting into something really, really out there that it's like, whoa, I've never even thought of this possibility. <laughs> have you um, seen have you seen the animated series recently I've, at least? Or? I, I've seen I've seen a couple of episodes, but I've never seen it in order. I must have just hopped yeah. around a little bit. What sucks about that is, and that's exactly what had happened to me originally, it's a continuing story. It's it's really it's so much better than the TV series. I love the actors in the TV series. But the storylines are just, you know, the 1970s, you know, fugitives on the run, go to a town, help the town get yeah. out before the bad guy shows up. It's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's the Incredible Hulk. Exactly. It, it's exactly <laughs> the Incredible Hulk. But the animated series, it's definitely worth taking a look. But there's, a, there's an episode where someone raids the tomb of the unknown ape in there. And okay. that's where I got the idea for the unknown that's ape. Where you, that's where you jumped off of that. Yeah. All right, so now let's let's go fast forward now to your latest book, the one that's out out now that everybody can buy. I mean, you can buy all the books, obviously, but this is the one that's out right now, the the newest one. Mm-hmm. Again, this is the book that you already had it in mind to turn it into a book form as opposed to a graphic novel. Yeah, both. And there, there was there was no chance of going back to the other format at this point. No, no, there was no chance of going back uh, to anything. Uh, Titan only wants to publish regular paperback novels because they sell better. And they're less expensive, honestly. You don't have to pay for art. They're cheaper to print. And they get into more stores. So Now, in this story, a little bit similar to Conspiracy, we're able to jump back and forth. And the best thing about this, the, the, the best part I like about this book, obviously, is, you know, I, I'm familiar with, you know, what happens to Taylor. And, and it's implied or inferred, you know, in terms of, okay... He spends some time with the mutants, but we don't know what happens. But the best thing I love is his background, his uh, military history, and all these different weird encounters that he has. Part of them to make him this... I, I really didn't... I mean, it's hard to like Taylor in this book. Yes. <laughs> He's such a bastard. I mean, now you could say part of it is his war experience, you know, what he went through uh, in Japan and, you know, as a POW. But then the stuff that's happening at home with his wife and and he just I, I, I keep I keep thinking it's, it's Charlton Heston. I can picture him doing all these things. <laughs> 
I mean, Taylor was pretty much a dick in the first movie, too. That's what was great about him, though. He was like, yeah, he was just like, I don't care. You get used to it. I don't want anybody around me. Get lost. And it's like, oh, man, so, you know, I, I, that's one of the things I try to do with these things is make sure that I'm actually reaching into what the character was portrayed at as opposed to what people's fond memories of the character are. Because, you know, people think of someone like Taylor as, oh, he's the hero. That you don't think about what a jerk he really was, you know? He, yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's, he becomes a hero when we feel sorry for him, the, the things that he's going through. But we never really, we kind of ignore the beginning that, you know, he's talking about it. He's fed up with everyone on Earth and I don't want to come back here and this is all mm-hmm. messed up. And, you know, it's like, whoa, this guy's got some some serious issues. Now, the other thing I found very interesting is that what is the purpose of the Liberty Mission? And the fact that they are supposed to go out there... And, and I guess use this new technology to, to form some kind of colony somewhere really far away. And because of this, this time travel ability, they can come back at some point much younger than obviously everybody else on Earth. But they're supposed to colonize. And it's like, they're really supposed to colonize with like three or four people? It's like, wow. See, this, is, this, this deals with like <laughs> BS stuff that was believed back in the 60s. So, ah. it, you know. That's another thing I tried to do, and this both of those books is like I made sure I described the computers as being noisy with magnetic tape and things like that. You know, it's like I tried to make it as if the books were written based completely as they would be back then. So if someone had a stupid theory back then and it worked for the story, (laughs) you got to follow through. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You know, you weren't going to hear about global warming probably in that, you know, because no one right, believed in right. it like that. That was um, more science fiction at I've, that point. You know, people are smoking all over the place in those books I wrote. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> but now, is it conceivable that there were, I mean, granted, you know, in this book, we, we learn about many projects. And again, I don't want to, I don't want to um, spoil anything, but there is a project called Church Door which is very ambiguous all the way to the end. But I mean, obviously we can make the connection when we get to the final, you know, when we put everything together, when we put the book and the movies together, we know exactly where we're going with this. But is it possible that there might've been either other intentions for this mission that we don't even know that the, even the, the astronauts didn't know. I mean, I have other books coming. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Man, I'm I'm getting close. I'm getting close to something here. Yeah, you are. All right, let me let let me jump to Korea because this is where uh, the book takes a turn into an area that I was not expecting. If this is considered science, if everything is considered science fiction, this is a subgenre of science fiction that I I had never heard. Uh, Planet of the Apes make that connection. Had they been had that connection been done before? No. The events of Korea. No. Okay. It kind of, the, the, the best thing about that particular event is that it, when you look at modern science fiction, anything from like the X-Files, for example, to, you know, uh, other shows where they, they touch upon different subgenres, it's like, yes, this is an accepted theory. I granted, it's all science fiction. I understand that. But it is an accepted theory of, you know, technology and where, you know, where these leaps happen, these, these huge leaps in technology, you know, it's a nice little shortcut when you have that as your source. Mm-hmm. Let me put it this way. <laughs> There's a clue to that in the short story, actually. Okay, I and, got it. And okay. there will be more information revealed in the next couple of novels. So if you want to find out the full story, everybody has to buy enough of these books so that they make me do all six, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, come on. Put these books out. You can't tease us like this. I'm holding you hostage. So. <laughs> Let me ask you something else. The mutants. Yes. We have a very one-dimensional view of the mutants from the second film. Here, with your different books, you've been able to kind of tap into a different kind. I mean, they're all kind of in the mutant world, more or less. Some of them less advanced. Some of them controlled by mutants. Some of them independent. Did any of that come from other canon, or you made that up? Specifically, like, what do you mean? Like, the big brains? The brains, or the or the or those white creatures that are attacking Monkrout and Zhao? They all make appearances of one kind or another in the Marvel comics from okay, the 70s. So yeah. that's where they're coming from. Yeah, I so see. those brains were the bad guys in Terror of the Planet of the Apes, but that takes place about a thousand years before this, so they were in a different position. They were in power then. So I'm showing what happened to them over the centuries since then. 
um, they had they had a slave race, which was the the white ones. But, mm-hmm. but they were just like an army. That's what they were used as back then. So, so you were able to bring all that in. Yeah, yeah. I wanted, I wanted to show. I liked the concept of that stuff, and I wanted to show. Well, we've never. It's obviously, since the series was canceled, no one's ever picked it up. We don't know whatever happened with those. So let's see what what would it be like, you know, hundreds of years later. Now, what's also very interesting is that you get really deep, deep into the politics of the caste system, if you will. Even though it's theoretically we we we've abolished the caste system, but there's definitely a caste system still there, where the gorillas are doing one thing, the orangutans are doing another thing, and the chimpanzees are doing something in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very, very reminiscent of the way things work in America, let's say. Now, is that something you think was established early in the in the 60s when the first film came out? Or that's something that had to be kind of polished and, and made more obvious, you know, for future versions of the films or all these books? I mean, it's, it's tough because for me, it's obvious looking at it. But I've been looking at it so long and trying to find angles on things for so long. So I don't I don't know. I mean, it, it, it always felt like that the ape society was an oppressed one where everybody's just supposed to do what they're supposed to do and don't question anything, you know? And so everybody has their little slot and they need to stay in there. And I, I always, I always felt like, you know, the idea of, Oh, the, the system has been abolished, but nothing's really changed. I mean, mm. it's like, okay, well, you know, uh, blacks are no longer slaves, but everybody's jerks to them, you know, back in, <laughs> back in the day, you know, uh, uh, women can vote now, but are they voting because they're being bullied away from the voting booths? You know, this type of thing. So it's like things change, but do they really change all that much right away? What about religion? Religion seems to be something also that is uh, ingrained in their society, but there's also some things that they don't want to talk about and they don't even want to look at. And they they, they really, really crack down when you try to question religion. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Cornelius and Zero were going to be executed for their heresy in mm-hmm. the original movie. So I feel like that was always... It was always there. I, I just think I, I always loved the fact that the apes were doing everything wrong that we did <laughs> and they were doing it to be better than us. You know, it, it's it, the fifth movie sucks. But one of the best lines in it is when uh, Caesar uh, is facing off against uh, Aldo and everybody's uh-huh. realizing that his son was killed and the, the cut to the humans that are in the in the cage. Uh, in the fence, and uh, one of them says, "What's what's their problem?" And the other guy says, "I think they just joined the human race." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that that's that's a beautiful way to look at it. It's like we've we've done all these things, and we're we're you know in 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 America today, we're doing them again, which is scary. The movie is more fitting now than it was twenty years ago. I feel like it's yeah, it's ripe with allegories of of everything that's happening. Do you have, when it comes to the merchandising, I know you mentioned the Migos, do, do you collect, do you actively collect uh, Apes merchandise these days? Oh, yes. <laughs> what's, what's your, are you, do you like the new, the, the NECA line, the, the, the latest NECA line? Yeah, I'm actually really into the reaction figures now, though. I don't know if you've seen those. Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, I, uh, I, I recently did a show about the Medicom line. Uh, that I I own oh, the, those. I have those, those too. Yep. I absolutely love the. I actually like them more than even than the NECA because of the fact that they look like little statues and their posture mm-hmm. are in that you know they are exactly how they intended to be. But unfortunately, because they that line never got past I guess the I don't know how many waves they never went into like mutants and some other characters. Mm-hmm. And I know that one of the current waves coming out uh, very soon of the reaction line includes uh, a mutant. Includes uh, what's his name? Uh, something the twenty six. Mendes. Uh, Mendes. Yeah. 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 I kept saying I'm gonna get him no matter what because even though he's not in proportion to these guys, at least it's finally being represented. If you go to uh, Super7.com, they actually went up for sale on Wednesday. They're 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 supposed to be shipping yes. in, in the next week or yes, so. So yes. So um, so you're you're you're, ordered you're ordering uh, the second this new wave now? Yeah, I ordered it. I ordered duplicates of the gorillas also because you know you have to have a gorilla army. I know. I, what I wish somebody would put out is uh, the ship. Uh, reasonable, because most of the stuff I've seen out there, it's somebody with a 3D printer or somebody carving it out of God knows what. They're they're super yep. customized. I wish somebody would produce a mass-produced, reasonable-looking ship. I mean, it, it would be really nice if they did one for the reaction line, but I guess it's going to depend on how these waves sell, oh. you know? Yeah, no kidding. I'm I'm happy that they did the place that they did and that they're yeah. doing the Lawgiver statue now. Yeah. So at least, it, hopefully, they'll keep going. The NECA figures... It's a tough – Planet of the Apes fans are a tough market because <laughs> they they want there to be all this Planet of the Apes stuff out there. But it's always like $20 for this action figure. 
I could get one for $2.50 <laughs> with, like in 1974. If I get on my time machine, yeah, of course you could. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, you have not been in the fandom, uh, you know, except for this, so you don't realize, but that's what everything costs nowadays, guys. Those NECA look fantastic. The, the articulation, the, the accessories, my God, they are just incredible. Mm-hmm. No, they're definitely great. You know, it's like on the fan groups, it's like I've seen people be like, Haha, screw you, NECA. I got them on clearance for three dollars each. And it's like, okay. You're not and then they're like <laughs> and then they're like, when's the next wave, NECA? Yeah. It's like you killed it. There's yeah. not gonna be a next wave because you did that. You're you're not helping. <laughs> you're not helping. Well, so, let, you know. let me just uh, again tell you how much I enjoy the books and I think I, I I was texting you a while back and I was saying that especially with death and, and then after I read Conspiracy, even Conspiracy, these are stories that I could I could picture them happening in terms of because they're so fresh, because the original films, again, especially the first two, uh, are so still fresh in our minds. I, I could picture these things happening. Now, granted, they do go in a lot of different directions, but nowadays with all these streaming services, I could see a Netflix or even an HBO turning them into, let's say, a 10 part story or something like that. I think they could pull it off. Now, is there a market for it? That's a whole other subject. But uh, again, maybe it's because, you know, we remember these actors so much and they're so iconic that it's so easy to to put yourself, you know, in these uh, in these storylines. If you want this to become a TV series, the only way that's ever going to happen is if this novel makes it on the bestseller list. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, what's going to happen is they'll come up with some other idea for a TV series, which we'll probably have to do with the newer stuff. Mm. But, I mean, that's the way it works. It, everything is just by, about numbers. So, you know, they know there's X amount of Planet Apes fans. What do these fans react the best to? If my book reached the bestseller list, they'd I totally look at it for that. Would it happen? I don't know. Would I see any money for it? No. <laughs> that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, is that fans vote with their dollars. So, you know, the way things are nowadays, everybody's always like, oh, I downloaded it for free off this website. Or, you know, I took it from the library. Okay, you know... You can take a book out from the library, sure. Just give it back. But, but even if you're giving, but even if you're giving it back, it's like if you don't have the money to afford these things, whatever. Then live your life. But if you love this thing and you want to see more of it, put some money into it because that's how they decide where they're going to do it again. For example, if War did terrible, right? Yeah. War of the Planet of the Apes. It didn't. No. But if it had, right, they would not have said, "Oh, War wasn't a good movie." They would have said, "Oh, nobody likes Planet of the Apes." That's the way the studios think. And then that just kills Planet Apes for the next decade. So I don't know. I'll get off my little soapbox. <laughs> well, you heard it. Anybody listening to this that it's into Planet of the Apes, this is it. This, you know, you guys have to get this book. And again, if you like it, then you're probably going to do the same thing I did. You're going to end up buying the other two because these are great stories. You know, I'm not an EU type of person. I always stay away from all that extra stuff. I like to stay with the movies. But sometimes, every now and then, I run into something that it's like, wow, this could fit right in. And these three books definitely accomplished that as far as I'm concerned. I had totally had you pegged wrong. I totally <laughs> thought you would be an EU guy. <laughs> Seriously. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, was, I was a hardcore Star Wars Expanding Universe guy probably up until like my, my work made it impossible for me to keep up with it. But, wow. you know, it's – but yeah, I'm surprised because I just, I, why, why, why have you never, why have you not in uh, Expanded Universe guy? You know, there's just so much out there that I, it, I find it impossible to keep up with. With that right. said, I did grab a couple of books. For example, the Darth Plagueis novel. Everybody was raving about it so much. And I'm like, all right, fine. I'll give it a chance. And I loved it. Uh, it's good. But with that said, I, I, again, I'm not going to jump into, the, the, again, there's too much. There's just yeah. so much yeah. out there that I wouldn't, you know, when I collect things, uh, you've heard of completists. There are people that like to get everything, and yes. it's it's a it's a never ending battle when you try to get everything. And with books, you'll just keep chasing your tail for the rest of your life because there's so much. Yep. But nope. again, You're when right. you run into something good, you have to tell people about it, and this is definitely one of those things. Well, I appreciate that. So thank you, Andrew. I hope to uh, hear from you soon on a different subject. And, yep. and I hope to hear even more important about some of these future books coming out. Yeah, as soon as I can tell you something, I will. I mean, <laughs> there's, I can tell you that there is another Apes project that I am working on that hopefully we'll be able to make an announcement in the next few months. Cool. It is not a novel. It is something else. And if you want the exclusive... <laughs> well, keep, keep me informed. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Thanks a lot. It was great talking to you. You got it. Bye-bye. Well, I would like to thank once again Andrew for joining me today. 
love it when we have an expert in the subject and man does he know his stuff backwards and forwards he is a huge planet of the apes fan and read these books buy them I guarantee you're gonna love them. I had a really good time reading them. It was so easy to imagine all these scenes. As I was reading, especially the uh, the latest one, Death of the Planet of the Apes, it was like I was watching a movie. It was like I was watching a miniseries. And, you know, when you have such iconic characters that only seem to have lasted one movie, but they're like superstars. You know, those images kind of like burn into your mind and it is so easy to imagine all these events taking place in between the scenes as certain things are going on. We get to fill in all these gaps and all these questions that we might have had and specifically Andrew had all these questions of what was happening, you know, around the story that we were presented with the movie. So once again, thanks Andrew. And as usual, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Answer! What do the letters stand for? Are they just another anagram in the alphabet soup of national bureaucracies? What do they mean? To be precise, the letters are government shorthand for the American National Space Administration. But what do they really mean? ANSA stands for the greatest conglomerate of scientific vision and knowledge in the history of mankind. Nothing less than that. And if I sound like I'm bursting with pride, it's because I am. We at ANSA have come a long way in 10 years, both figuratively and literally. From a science fiction dream in the fertile imagination of Chairman Dr. Otto Hasslein, the program quickly progressed to the first manned spacecraft to orbit the Earth. With the combined brilliance of the finest minds in aerospace science, Dr. Hasslein then turned his attention to exploring other worlds, landing men on the moon, and then the red planet, Mars. But ANSA's vision could not be limited by our own solar system. Human exploration of Earth's neighboring planets served as only a prelude to ANSA's further ambitions. Photon propulsion and near-light-speed travel have now allowed Dr. Hasslein and his team to target distant galaxies and nebulae for their next destinations. The result? Project Liberty, in which a manned spaceflight will be sent to the distant constellation Centaurus, four light-years away. The purpose of the mission is a selfless one to increase the knowledge of man for yet-to-be-born generations. This is the Liberty One, a winged chariot that will propel man into the greatest adventure ever conceived. Built to withstand the pressures of near-light-speed travel, the Liberty represents the technological crown jewel of the ANSA fleet. After a five-year series of exhaustive tests and prototypes, the ANSA team are confident that it is ready to carve its place in the annals of history. Like a shooting star, the Liberty will slice through space at velocities approaching the speed of light. Dr. Hasslein discovered that under this circumstance, time dilates. The astronauts aboard the ship will age only 18 months, while 2,000 years will have elapsed on Earth. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2019. <laughs>